Welcome to the Student of the Game podcast with Tim Stone, where I sit down with successful entrepreneurs to extract the knowledge you need to increase your income and avoid simple mistakes. You learn from their failures so you don't have to go through the same thing. I hope that you find one lesson you can apply to your life from this episode. Thank you for listening. Thanks for tuning in to the Student of the Game podcast. I'm Tim Stone here with our special guest today, Mr. Ryan Stuman. Ryan runs phone sites, Apex Entourage, and a whole bunch of other things we're going to dive into. But Ryan, thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm glad to be on here, Tim. Thank you for having me. Hopefully I can bring some, some old school wisdom to your young audience today. That's what I'm looking for. So I'm excited for it. But Ryan, uh, real quick, g- give me a quick breakdown of your story and your background. I followed you on social media for a while, but give me some more... Uh, insight and we'll go from there. Well, I grew up without a silver spoon to say the least. I was adopted when I was seven years old. I dropped out of school when I was 15 and left home about the same time. I uh, spent my 20s and I guess probably my early 30s on parole, prison, probation for I think 12 years of my life. I've, I've been divorced a few times. Man, I made a lot of mistakes in my life and a lot of bad decisions early on. But here's the great thing for those of you in your 20s, I made all these mistakes in my 20s and I'm not paying for them in my 40s. Uh, they, they, I wouldn't take them back. I'm not telling anybody to go out and commit crimes or anything like that, but I wouldn't take those experiences back. See the difference between maybe, I sound like my grandpa here, but maybe my generation and, and yours, for example, Tim, is you guys have YouTube. If you want to know how to make money, they can tune into this podcast and listen to you and I talk about how I've made millions and millions and millions of dollars and give them real life strategies that work for me. A guy that's been to prison, that's been adopted and everything else. I didn't have that. I had the neighborhood drug dealers and those guys look kind of rich. I'll go see what kind of stuff they're up to. And that was really our only source of for lack of a better word, mentorship. Uh, when, when it was my age, you guys got guys like us that can come on here and give you wisdom. It's a complete game changer. I didn't have that. So, but here I am at 44 years old and I got, I committed my crime and got in trouble when I was 19 years old, or I'm sorry, 20 years old in 1999. And it, 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 having the skill of being a good salesperson and a hard worker and the discipline that I have, it has never kept me from having a job or starting a company or keeping a client. When I was your age, I was a convicted felon writing mortgages. Maybe I was a year or two older than you, but around your age. And and it wasn't something that I like fly like some sort of freak flag, felon flag or something like that. But it it wasn't something that I, I hit either. All my friends, parents that I did their mortgage and stuff knew I'd been to prison. They'd sent let they probably bought stamps for their dudes to send letters, you know, so. Mm. So you said the the sales kept you having a job at all times just because you had a, a ability within you to make money. I think is an important thing. Where did that start? Like, were you naturally good at it or did you figure it out and have a mentor? Like, what, what did that look like for you? Well, I've always been able to just talk to people. I've always been a friendly person that's, that's outgoing. I'm still the kind of guy that sometimes you might be standing in line at, in a place and I'm shooting to start up a conversation with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just how I am. And, but as a kid, I was 10 times more friendlier because you don't get you as an adult, you get a little bit more uh, guarded because you've been burned a whole lot. But as a kid, mm-hmm. I was in a teenager. I was just wide open, friendly to anybody, talk to anybody, anybody, any place, homeless person on the street, dude in a suit. It didn't matter. And when I was 13, I started selling car washes. And basically that meant somebody pulls on the lot of the car wash. They want a $5 wash. I settle them a six or seven or $8 wash. And then I get to make a commission from that. 
Mm-hmm. And I started, I, and it was great because some days we'd wash a thousand cars. So I got this mm-hmm. experience of a thousand different human reactions several times a month, hundreds of human reactions uh, every single day that it wasn't raining. And I got good at sales through that. One day, a lady had come and offered me a job. She recruited me from the car wash into the mortgage industry. And I didn't know anything about finance. I'm a convicted felon, but I knew that I was willing to work hard. I knew that I was willing to study. And I knew that, that, that this was going to be my only shot. So I needed to make the most of it. Right. So I showed up and I learned this, this, I say learn, I started learning the mortgage business, which is rather complicated, to be honest with you. For those of us that have been doing it for a long time, we don't really think nothing of it. But the real estate side of things can be complex, depending on how you're structuring a deal. But the financing side of it, it's a very black and white way that they 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 underwrite loans. But there's a lot of gray area to get to that black and white that you've got to make sure that you filled and told the right story and everything else. So as I'm learning this process, like my first month, I make $6,800, right? By like, by like Mm. accident. Like, I don't even know at that time, I didn't know exactly what happened. I was like, Oh, cool. We closed one. And then the next month I made like 20 grand or, or somewhere around there was an astronomical number for me at that time. And then I'm addicted. Then I'm like, the better I get at selling this stuff, the more money I can make. Mm-hmm. So what I did is while everybody else was chasing real estate agents, I went one Saturday on my TV screen in my house. There's an ad that comes on. It says, come on down to the Hyatt Regency in Dallas, Texas for rich dad, poor dad, no money down real estate investing seminar. And I'm like, well, that sounds awesome because if you're not putting money down, you're going to need money and I sell money. So I go up to this event I sit there. First of all, I learned a ton of stuff from the guy on stage. I was like, maybe I should do this too, (laughs) right? Like, why Mm -hmm. am I not flipping houses? This sounds great. Second of all, I realized everybody that got up and bought that $2,000 program was going to need some money. So I sat out front, waited for the people that would carry the bags because they were the ones that bought the actual DVDs. So they would carry the bags out of there and I'd stop them, hit them up, ask them what their plan was, give them a business card. One dude hit me up two months later, sent me 54 refinances on a multi. He owned 54 different duplexes. So it was like a 108 units basically that I got to refinance just from saying out. So then I start going to all the seminars. Mm. <laughs> you're like, yeah, you're trying to find, you just need one more of those every year. Exactly. And, and I, because of that, I bought the program. I learned, I brought several different programs. I learned real estate in my spare time. I would reach out to companies like DR Horton, Pulte, Grand Homes. And I would ask them, this is circa 2005. And I'd say, hey, what what's sitting on your books right now that you need to get rid of? And they would give me a spreadsheet at that time of all the houses, what they had into them, what they would take for them, uh, the addresses, the appraised value, when I needed to close by. And I would just pick up houses for like 160 grand, turn around and sell them for 180 grand because I was a better marketer than they were at that time. I had the investors. They didn't have the investors. So I'd turn around and say, hey, here's a house that you can get. That, by the way, is now worth six, $700,000, right? So here's a house mm-hmm. that you can get, sit on it long-term, rent it out. It's affordable. And and that was my whole game plan. And still, on some level, I'm still doing that today all these years later. Mm. Were you essentially wholesaling or... So in would the, you would you buy the house? Yeah. So I no, uh, I didn't have the money to buy them. Even though back then you, I had thirty two houses all together because you could use this like shotgun method with no money down, uh, stated income loan type of stuff that you could do back in the subprime mortgage days. But mm-hmm. for the majority of these, man, I would pick up twenty or thirty a month and I would sell them off for twenty five hundred bucks a pop. 
So somebody would say, hey, I'd say, hey, you can get this $180,000 home for $162,500. You're going to cut me $2,500 up cash. I'll assign the contract to you. You go do what you want with it. And, and dude, I was selling a lot of contracts every month doing it that way. Mm. And then occasionally I'd make enough money to put earnest money down, go take out another loan, and then built up my portfolio. But I end up going to federal prison in 2008 for a gun. So ironically, nothing to do with real estate. It was for uh, I had a felon in possession of a firearm. It wasn't my damn gun, and it was a whole debacle. But anyway, I couldn't beat the feds, and I went to 15 months in federal prison while I was mm. in there. My wife at the time left me, sold my properties, ran off with some dude, and I came out with about $50, $25, $50 in my pocket, lived in a halfway mm. house for two weeks, and like literally had nothing. But I knew at that moment, it's like, hey, I got it before because I was a millionaire when I walked into federal prison. So it's like, hey, I, I, <clears throat> I escaped the rat race, got out of prison, got a job, got an even better job, became wealthy, or we'll call it rich, became rich. And then wealthy in, in the mindset that I learned from there, go to prison, lose it all, come out. I'm like, I can't get any lower than this. Mm. So I went back in the mortgage business, 2008, the mortgage business is crashing. They don't do stated loans. Investors got to buy for 20% down. So now they're not buying in the same way that they used to. The whole game's changed. And I still made $300,000 that year in 2009. 2010, mm. Dodd-Frank gets signed into law and they like, if you're a felon, you can't originate mortgages anymore. I had to go figure out something to do. Mm. And that's what got me into what I do today. I started helping loan officers. Obviously, I was a good loan officer. I did a lot of volume and I had the W-2s and, and the plaques and all that to back it up. So I started teaching other loan officers how I did stuff on social media. But we're talking 2010, y'all. I'm trying to explain to bankers how Facebook works. Yeah. And there's a lot of people in 2023 that still don't know how the Internet really works in, in how social media and all this stuff. And so I'm trying to explain that to them back then. And I might as well have been talking Greek to people right here in Texas because they don't speak that language. They didn't understand a word that I was saying. And I got frustrated. And finally, I was like, let me do it for you. And so I ran 70 accounts, give or take a count or two, at any given time, making multiple posts a day on each one of these accounts. I got a master class in how to get engagement on social media at the expense of the people that were paying me monthly to do this. So I got paid to learn how to really operate within social media and how everything works. And so over the years, I just have stayed consistent with that and teaching people the new ways because social media is always evolving. There's always a new way to get things. There's always a new way to grow. And, and that's what we teach people over here. That's awesome. I, I, we're going to go into that. But before I forget, I had a question about the car wash. How, how much commission did you get on each sale if it was a 6 or $7 sale? Yeah, so let's say somebody comes in and they bought a $7 car wash. And so it worked on a ticket average. It worked like this. So anything above a $10 ticket average, you got paid one quarter. It was 10 cents per car. If it was a 10 and one, right? $10, one cents, then it was 10 cents per car. If it was 12, it was like a quarter per car. So my goal was to sell a bunch of 15 and $20 sales, right? To these people so that I could get a 10 or $12 ticket average, therefore have, you know, 10 to 25 cents added into my, and it might've been five or 10 cents. It was a low amount, but if you're doing a thousand cars, a thousand cars, yeah. That's an extra, that's an extra few dollars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's and how long, how long did you work there? Uh, on and off since I was 13. So I, I've always been employed. That's the thing about me. I've always had a job somewhere. 
but I've never had a salary job. I've always had like hourly, hourly plus commission, or I worked construction for a few years where I was electrician's helper and it was an hourly pay or whatever the case may be. So, but I worked on and off at that car wash from the time I was eight years old mowing the lawn because my stepdad was the manager of several of the locations. And so he put me to work there until I was 23, I believe. Okay. And then uh, back to the social media business. So you were learning a lot of it 2010, back when really it was all uh, a lot of the stuff we use today didn't even exist. So what were some of the fundamentals you learned that still exist? Because I'd imagine some of the things really don't make sense, but it's people. All the algorithms are supposed to be, you know, emulating what people want to see. So people are still people. But what are the fundamentals you learned? Yeah. So I'll give you Facebook, for example it works on three parts. Everybody tries to overcomplicate everything. Oh, you need to be on the latest reels or the latest story form or the latest audio. And yes, those things help. I'm obviously you got to stay on top of what's trending. If you're trying to be a creator like me and grow, but in reality, there's only three things that matter on any social media. Number one is weight or engagement, right? The higher the engagement, the more people will continue to see your stuff. So doing something simple like asking a question versus making a statement can make all the difference in your post going viral or getting more engagement. Number Mm -hmm. two is affinity. Who do you interact with? If you're interacting with the same people and you only see the same people in your feed, their chances are they're the only people seeing your uh, post in their feed, you need to start going through your friends list and re and interacting with other people. If you want to continue to grow and get more eyes on your stuff, a lot of people, they get in this comfort zone of the same 20, 30 friends. You got to, and then you forget about Bob who's got cool stories too, but he's out of sight, out of mind. Make sure at least once a month you go in through your friends list and go, Oh, Hey, what's Tim up to? Oh, Hey, what's Ryan up to? And you, and you engage with them because you creep that affinity is DMS, likes, comments, shares, Anything that you can do uh, across each other's profiles on social media, that matters because they're saying, hey, if Tim is likely, if Tim's like my last five posts, if I go make a post and your shit's obviously your, <clears throat> your newsfeed is going to show up with my post in it because we have affinity together. Mm. right? And then lastly is time decay, which is the amount of time between engagement. So it, it's evolved over the years to seconds versus minutes, but Right now, you post, you've got about 60 seconds to get at, at least 10% of the people that inst- or that Facebook or Instagram is showing to engage. So when you make a post, Facebook may show that post. You might have 6,000 or 60,000 followers. It doesn't matter. When you make a post at any given moment, maybe 10% of your friends are online at that given moment. And in that given moment, what it does is it takes two, 300 people and it shows them your post. And if 10% or more don't engage in that post, it doesn't show it to anybody else in your newsfeed. It hides that post and you get low engagement. So oftentimes the people get low engagement. It's not because they have bad content. It's just because they're not doing the things that I'm talking about to keep the content seen because you're competing against 2 billion people, by the way, on Facebook and 2 billion people on Instagram and 2 billion people on YouTube. And they're everywhere, right? If we're on one, we're on all of them. So the key is knowing that you got that 60 seconds, but what happens is once 10% or more people respond and engage with it, they may be likes, comments, shares, whatever the case, then it shows it to another 500. Then they've got about 60 seconds and then it shows it to another 500 until there's a period of time where it shows it to 500 people and like three or 4% engage. And then you go away 
But here's the cool thing about time decay, weight, and affinity combined. You can manipulate them against the system, against the algorithm, right? So if I have a post that I made this time last year, it pops up today in my memories, and I go in there and I re-comment on it, it's going to send an alert to everybody. It's going to pick it out again. It's going to send an alert to about 500 people on that post that saw that post, like that post, engage with that post. And if 10% or more get engagement on that old post, it'll slap it right back in the newsfeed and start showing my old content again without me having to come up with new ideas. So if you've mm. got an old ad that did really well, you can go revive that thing. If you've got an old post where you closed a bunch of people off of that offer, you can go revive that and reclose people from that offer without having to constantly come up with a new crafty way to do that. You can just reboot that time decay part. So Hmm. those fundamentals, obviously, it's more complex than that. And AI and robots and gnomes and dwarfs and everything else is going on there (laughs) in in these days and political side or the other and and all of that stuff. But that's the fundamental basic. That's the the jump shot, the dribble and the layup of meta and pretty much all social media platforms. Yeah, that's a pretty good move. The comment thing, because I'll see that I'll see someone posted something uh, couple years ago or whatever when you start commenting all the people who commented before like oh hey i remember this well it's kind of a cool thing one thing that uh, i'm curious about i don't know if you know the answer is like when i share something on my instagram story sometimes i'll you know thousands of people will watch it usually and if i'll reshare something i get like 80 views is there a reason like even if even if i reshare something that seems to be an engaging piece of content uh if it's not an original story post just shows it to nobody. Is that anything you know about? You know, uh, I, I noticed that same trend. And anytime I reshare somebody's stuff, you'd think they would encourage you to share other people's stuff instead of discouraging mm-hmm. you. It's like, oh, we're going to kill. If you and Tim are cool, we're just going to kill your uh, vibe. But probably because it just shows it to the mutual people between the two of you. It pops mm-hmm. up probably for them first because it's still running that test course, right? So it mm-hmm. probably runs a, a smaller test course. Let's say I reshare your stuff from this podcast. It's going to show 10% of your fans, 5% of your fans, 5% of my fans. Your people may not know me. My people may not know you. So they're like, what is he even sharing this for? And so they miss it and it gets low engagement. And so they push it on to the next one. And only when people start at the beginning or go back in our stories and watch as we've developed throughout the next 24 hours, do the the numbers start to slightly increase on that. But if I was a guessing man, knowing what I know about the algorithm, I would guess that's the answer. Okay. Gotcha. And, and I know this isn't the yes, only thing. Right? What's that? That makes sense, right? That, that, it was that does make sense. Yeah, it's yeah. just something that, you know, it's just showing it to people that don't care for some reason. We connected, right. Yeah. But if they don't, but if me and you aren't best friends and business partners and sharing each other's stuff all the time, like Tristan and Andrew Tate, they can probably share each other's stuff. They got a lot of mutual followers and Mm -hmm. everybody knows who they are. But you and I doing this podcast, it's our first time to do something like this. Maybe your people wouldn't know me. My people may not know you. Same thing. So it may get low engagement, like good for them, but I'm not going to like this because who knows? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? It's something like that. And other than the social media, there's a lot of other businesses you're involved in. Uh, like, there's some things you can list off to me because I'm not even sure of everything. Yeah, so I had to turn in a spreadsheet with all of the investment companies that I am an owner, director, board member, those kind of things of. And it was 60-something. I think it was 63 the other day that we had to turn over. So I have a lot mm-hmm. of streams of income. Yeah, your and- tax return must be crazy <laughs> it it is i just got it today actually yeah. and so i get several the way mine's set up is i get several k1s from a few different companies that go into 
to this main company. And I have several companies set up that way. And then they all end up sending me uh, a, it, they end up paying me personally. And then I got to file taxes personally. Right. So it's a, yeah, there's a lot, man, mm. like, like hundreds of, of pages and, and thousands of dollars. And I have trust and everything else like most people in my situation do. So it, it is a lot, but thank God I got a team of people much smarter than I, that I communicate with every week that handle that for me. So I don't, I don't have to stress that too much, but I own a software company called phone sites where anybody, anywhere, anytime can create a website, a web funnel, a link tree type, anything that you want on the internet that you would want a web design. You can do it from your mobile device. You don't even need a desktop. You can do it from your mobile device in less than 15 minutes without having to take any videos or training. It's, it's like the iPhone of software. It's easy to get in, build a website. You're done in minutes. We got thousands of templates, super easy. Then I own uh, the wife and I own uh, over $20 million worth of real estate and uh, commercial and residential and raw land. And then I am a cattle rancher. So I have a, mm. a ranch in Oklahoma subleased out with about 150 cows, maybe 130 cows at this time. They're growing. It's, it's that time of the year. And, and, and so real estate, ranching, software. Then I have a large mastermind where we coach and consult entrepreneurs to six, seven, and eight figures. We've had a few recently nine-figure exits, so we're having to, to readjust our offer there. But we help, people, we help people go to the next level in business. And here's what that means. When you're at level one, you, so so many people say, I want to go to the next level. But what they're really saying is, I don't like where I'm at. I want more. And, and they haven't identified what the next level is. So like focus is such a superpower with us humans. And if you don't know what to focus on, you'll just say something and the meaning will be different and you'll never get it because your brain and subconscious don't align with what you're saying. So when you say you want to go to the next level, what you're really saying for most people is I want more. I don't like what I have. I'm unhappy in my current situation versus identifying what the levels are and what the steps are to get to that next level. Most people haven't identified the level. Therefore, they don't know what the hell the steps are. Therefore, they never get to the next level because they don't know what to focus on. Okay. Mm -hmm. I give you all that as a, a preface to, to, a prerequisite here to explain how this works. So level one, you work for somebody and you work for somebody, whether you're learning an intern or a salesperson, whatever the case, but in order to stop the, a lot of people think to become a business owner, you need to be like a lawyer or an accountant and you need all this fancy paperwork. Like that comes later, probably by people you pay using the process I'm about to teach you that first level, you got to master sales and marketing. Because once you can get leads and you can get money from those leads, you can go start a business and do anything because you know the most important part, customer acquisition. Okay. Mm -hmm. Second level is being self-employed. Now that you know how to get leads and sales, you got to go build a business, right? You got to start by yourself because most of us don't have the money to bring over a bunch of employees and everything else. So at that level, we have to learn how to hire people. And we have to learn how to train people because we will remain self-employed if we don't have other selves to employ. Okay. So sales, marketing, hiring, training. The third level is the CEO of the company. CEO of the company has employees. They have a board of directors. They have an actual working corporate name, LLC, all the things that you need, their masters. They may not, at that point, somebody else is doing the sales and marketing. At that point, somebody else is doing the hiring and training. The CEO's job is to be, is the things that they have to focus on to get to the next level is leadership and building a brand. 
Because if the CEO is going to exit, which is the next level, if the CEO is going to exit, they have to build something without themselves needing to be involved. Right. And in order for Mm -hmm. them to do that, they have to be a great leader so that they can cultivate the person to take their place and the people to consistently move up the ladder, because that's what people take jobs for anyway, so that they can move up, get raises, do better, you know, move into management, so on and so forth. That's the American dream for a lot of people, especially folks that come out of school and college and stuff like that. The fourth level is at exit. Right. So some people, they exit and they retain some ownership of the company. So they get paid a dividend or whatever the case may be quarterly, once a year or whatever the case, some of them take a big cash investment and, and a lump sum they're done. They have nothing else to do with business. So at that level, there's not another level to get to, but at that level, you have to master finances and taxes because you got to know how to make the right investments, what to do with your money and not to overpay into the government. So you get into the accounting and money problems really as you're going from CEO to investor, because you want to have all that stuff set in place so that when you do sell the company, it pays into your trust and all the other things as opposed to, you know, you having to pay a massive amount of taxes. So if you're out there and you're like, I want to go to the next level, step one, figure out which one of those four levels that you're on. Step two, master the skills that are needed that it takes to get to that next level, wherever you're at. Mm, Yeah. And a lot of people try to start the wrong steps too early, I I think. And I was in the, in the tax business kind of indirectly for three years and uh, you see people that want to have all the trust and the everything set up and all the tax strategy. I'm like, bro, you don't make any money. You don't have a tax problem. Like you, you need to, you need to make more money. You need to hire people, increase sales, marketing, everything. And then as you're making a certain amount of money, then you have a tax problem. Then you hire the CPA, then you do the planning, but it's always a tax. Yeah. It's just relatively small. It's giant to the small entrepreneur. Uh, mm. Like it's giant to me, the, the medium sized American business over here, but it's, it's uh, it's always big, but you're right. You're looking at maybe a guy like me that pays millions in taxes and a guy that's down the street paying $10,000 in taxes. And the $10,000 guy is trying to figure out how the hell he can save $10,000. And I'm happy to pay the million. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It's just the, the different the different levels. They need it the most, but it's not worth the 50 grand that they have to set up a trust to save 10 grand a year in taxes for those guys. Right. But, you're, yeah. You're going to pay yeah. attorneys and CPAs 20 grand to save five. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, where, where the, you know, you can only save so much, you can only save down to zero, but you can increase your income infinitely. Um, that's, that's awesome. And, and, uh, there's a question I was going to ask, but I just lost my train of thought, uh, which happens sometimes, but it'll come back to me. Um, so w- with the exits, that's everybody's goal when they're coming to work with you guys to join the program is like, I'm going to build this business and exit it or what, <laughs> Well, like I said, you got a 50-50. Some people, they sell the business and then they they work the metaphoric work on the business, not in the business. So they, mm. you know, they're getting paid dividends because they they've got a new CEO and now they maybe sit on the board or something like that, right? But everybody's goal should be to exit a business and maybe not to private equity, maybe not to an independent investor, but maybe to your children, maybe to the mm. employees that are working there. But none of us any of us should get into business and go, I'm going to do this forever. Now that doesn't mean that you can't do one exit and go start another one. No problem whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Right. I think the move is, and I'm pretty sure this is what Eric Spoffer did, which I think was, is, is the, the ideal move for somebody that exits is take your exit money, 
go buy a bunch of real estate. If you make enough, in his case, he did. If you make enough, go buy an airplane too. So you've got all these tax deductions and all these tax write-offs. Then you can borrow the money against it. You get all your money back, but now it's at a debt. So it's not income. And then boom, you're rolling tax-free cash flow, right? Tax-free mm-hmm. plus a little bit of cash flow. And you put that through a trust. You don't have to pay the capital gains on it if you work that stuff right. So I, I've seen, I'm pretty sure that I, I haven't heard it directly from him, but watching how he moves, I'm pretty sure that's what he did. That's that's mm-hmm. the ultimate move. And so that's what we're trying to and, teach somebody, whether you're handing this thing down to your son or whether you, you got to know what you're going to do when you exit. Cause here's what happens. Somebody doesn't have that stuff set up. They sell their company for $20 million and the IRS goes, we're going to need eight of that. And you go $8 million. Mm-hmm. Shit. I thought I was getting 20 and now I only got, Oh man, now I only got 12. That changes the game. I was about to buy a $6 million house. That's half of my net worth. Half the shit that I work for gone. I was about to buy, you know, a $500,000 car. That's 20% of my, like, and, mm-hmm. and so it just changes things. But if you have it set up correctly, then you can leverage that money to pay forever. And I know there may be people watching, well, what's the difference between 20 and 12? Eight, damn it. $8 million. Yeah. <laughs> That's the difference. And if you can avoid it, listen, I'm a patriot. I'm all for paying taxes, but I'm not going to overpay them. There's a set of guidelines set up for us entrepreneurs to abide by that they will give us the incentive to not pay taxes and to invest in our business, to invest in real estate, to invest in certain things. And I'm going to follow those guidelines and invest in those certain things more than just invest in the IRS's tax system, taking my money. And that's what a smart entrepreneur does. And that's why you got to master those skills. And that's where I'm at right Mm -hmm. now. I'm trying to master those skills. By no means am I a master of that, but I got a pretty good grasp around it because I know that's what it takes for me to be able to exit this, which is my plan in the next five years, because I built something this side, I built something with apex and with phone sites that I'm not, I'm not the guy I am right now with apex a little bit, but I'm, I'm working on building that brand where it doesn't just revolve around me. But that's the Mm -hmm. whole point of this was to blow it up, build other people up, build names within the network. Let those folks outshine me. This thing lives on forever. The software company lives on forever. And I'm on to my next real estate investment venture. Mm. Yeah. And one thing that Eric's doing really well is after having the exit, buying the plane, the real estate and everything is building the brand. So now when he goes and starts another venture, whatever it is, the brand just accelerates the startup. Yeah. He can get people behind him. He can get money behind him. He can get sales at the door and then build it to the point where he can exit, walk away, sell it, you know, business runs itself, whatever his plan is. But that's a huge thing that like he's a, he's a, his brand is very powerful and it's going to help him. So, uh, I remember the question that I said would come back to me that you said you were getting into ranching. I was just in Montana two weeks ago and I was fly fishing on two separate ranches. that were over 30,000 acres each. I think one of them was 38,000 acres. Um, isn't that just like the coolest thing ever? Just having a ton of land. It is. I, I have 400 acres, so it's nothing like that. That's a huge, huge amount of land. There's mm-hmm. a ranch behind me that's 60,000 acres. It's unreal. It's got mountains mm-hmm. running through it and everything, but yeah, we have 400 acres And I I grew up on a ranch when I was young, before I was adopted. So I had that experience. And then uh, my stepdad, his, his mother had about 600 acres. We would go out there hunting his kids and pretty often too. I mean, a lot of people say that and it was like a one or two times in their life. I'm talking about, we were out there like once a month, twice a month hunting killing coyotes and things of that Mm -hmm. nature that that bothered the chickens and cows and stuff. And so uh, I, I grew up doing all that and a few Years ago, I was about to buy two years ago. I was about to buy a giant house. I already live in one giant house. I was about to buy an even gianter house. And so rates started going up. It didn't make sense. Times were uncertain. So I've pivoted and, you know, I was like, man, I, I, 
I have all this nice place, nice office in the city. I'm going to go and, and buy some land somewhere outside of the city. Well, I start looking around in Texas. That stuff is expensive, bro, like expensive. Mm. So I go about an hour and a half north of Texas, and I'm in Oklahoma, which, by the way, is prettier than North Texas because you got rolling hills and big trees. Like it's 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 just a different than than Texas. It's much prettier once you get from Gainesville, Texas, on north through Oklahoma. It gets ugly in Kansas again. Sorry, Kansas folks. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a different kind of pretty, but yeah. it's definitely a flat pretty. But in in Oklahoma, so I end up buying 400 acres there at the bottom of one of these hills down in the ridge of this huge creek with 14 lakes on it. I've got a, a house that I've built there, pavilion on top of the lake. We've got ATVs and stuff, full time ranching crew that works out there. So uh, I, but because of that, people have taken an interest in that because the reason why I didn't, another reason why I didn't buy the house is it was going to be on this brand new PGA golf course where the PGA headquarters is. And I thought, man, if I buy this house and the zombie apocalypse, we'll call it, happens, like they're going to be trying to eat my head first. I'm like right here. Did the Ritz is across the street? Hotel Zaza's across the street. Mm-hmm. The colleges, I mean, it's the big part of town. So I'm like, I need somewhere where if something goes wrong, I'd rather be prepared than not. If something goes wrong, I can get there. I got food for my family then we're going to make it right. And so I set this place up out there with fish. It's got a lot of wild game on it. We have a house there, a storm cellar, barn, tractors, like everything that you would need to to. And we do have a full functioning ranch. Right. But everything that you would need, a lot of people listening may not know the difference between a ranch and a farm. A farm is where they grow vegetables and fruits. A ranch is where you grow animals, livestock. So we grow cattle. And, And so, you know, eat cows, eat fish. And I've got land where I can plant vegetables and stuff if I have to. We just don't do that currently. But something that literally my family, mm. myself, my friends, we could all survive on if we had to. Yeah. I didn't know that going into this. I just have become pretty fascinated with ranches in the last two weeks. Well, um, the uh, the other thing is I make money from them. So we that's run- what I was going to ask. Is yeah. it profitable, the, the ranch part at least? In several ways. Okay. So I did a uh, an interesting deal on this one. I did... I bought the place for two and a half million. I put $500,000 down. I paid $25,000 a month at 0% interest, all going towards the principal. And I have to refinance or pay this thing off at the end of two years, right? But at the end of two years, I'll owe a million bucks on it, say, for my math's right off the top of my head. So it's not very much money, ton of equity. The thing's probably worth three and a half million bucks at this point. So, hmm. and I'm, I'm paying it at 0% interest. So there's no incentive until the two years for me to pay the thing off because we got good cash flow. Now, is that like a USDA loan, the zero percent interest? Or uh, no, I worked out a deal with the uh, with the oh, seller finance. Yeah, gotcha. absolutely. Okay, absolutely. So, yeah. and yeah, no banks involved, nothing like that. Just put a massive amount of cash down on the deal, got them to carry the note. They're not making the month like that. Ranch doesn't make twenty five grand a month, so now he's cash flowing it more than he was in the past. I'm getting to pay off the land that I want. That's absolutely beautiful, but. We bail hay and Hayes made us maybe five or ten thousand dollars this year. I haven't got the check from it yet, but it's coming because they just picked up the last of it. So that produced a little bit of money. I've got about five thousand dollars in pecans that they produce every year. So I'll make about five thousand dollars from pecans. I didn't even know that, but that's really cool. Yeah. Then uh, I just found that out Saturday. Actually, I went out and these trees are loaded with them. The guy's like, Yeah, man, they'll pay you about five grand. You just got to mow underneath them so that they can come pick them up. So I went and hopped on my tractor and mowed underneath all of them before I left Saturday. And I'm like, tell them to come out this week. Fuck it. Cause they shake them. They put this shaker on the tree and they shake the whole tree. It's a crazy yeah. process. Um, but I also plan on throwing my masterminds out there. So 
before long, uh, when my house is done, it'll probably be another two months. I'll be throwing two day events. One day here in the office, we're in the war room. We're doing with small people, 20, 25 people, small events. We're here. We're looking at everybody's business. The next day we're up early in the morning. We head out to the ranch, talk business on the bus to the ranch, blah, blah, blah. Then we get to the ranch. We have breakfast networking session in the afternoon. These guys can go shoot with some of these tactical guys I got. They can go try to fish, hunt pigs, ride four wheelers, all the things that I've got to do out there. And then the end of the night, have one final dinner together, discuss business. So be a good mixture of discussing business, Mm -hmm. networking, having some fun, coming back, recharge, getting away from the city. But, But my office, as you see here, is where I'm at. My office is right in the middle of Plano, Texas, uh, Mm -hmm. West Plano, Texas. So, I mean, it's dude, it's Dallas central basically. Yeah. Busy as hell around here. So we're up in the middle of the big city here, take them out to the ranch and get away. There's a lot of people in, in including this week, I've got Jason Hornum, who's a huge uh, Facebook media buyer. He's like, Hey man, can I, can I go with you to the ranch this week? And we work, I I just, just put me to work. I want to work for free. I want to go out there. So people want that experience. So I'll probably have them work on their business here one day and work on my ranch the next day for (laughs) fun. Cause you know, it is, it's very rewarding. My employees go out there and, and we had to move a bunch of steel casing and fencing and stuff like that. Once I bought the house, we tore the house down and, rebuilt another one and and my employees go out there and dude we're all bleeding and sweating and our shirts torn up and beer spilt all over half of them the next day they're all like dude i love doing that man thank you for inviting us out so it it really does like we we really get a dopamine from from hard work and so people see that they want to go out to the ranch experience that works so hard in the office they want to prove to themselves that they can work hard with them soft ass keyboard hands you know (laughs) yeah exactly that was that was all of us in uh, montana a couple weeks ago, it was same like yeah, keyboard hands, sales guys, you know, business owners, entrepreneurs, CEOs that are, you know, running the company from afar. But I went to Montana a couple of years ago, and I'm sitting at dinner outside. Okay, this is an important part of the story. I'm at dinner outside, and I mean dinner, no big deal. Got my plate, my fork, you know, just like eating. And the lady says, don't be alarmed if you see the bear. What the fuck do you mean? Don't be alarmed if I see the bear. How are you just going to like make an announcement casually? Like that's a normal thing, which clearly it is in Montana. Yeah, we, we had a bear visit as well. I'm so. not from Montana. So I'm like, what kind of bear? And then they try to sell me on this bullshit. Don't worry. It's just a black bear. They won't fight humans. I'm like, man, have you seen YouTube? They all fight humans if they have to. <laughs> like, like, man, now I got to walk home with just me and my wife. And I know she's slower than me, but I love her. So I'm going to have to sacrifice my, I'm trying to make like financial decisions based around if this bear gets us on the way home, you know, <laughs> I make the money, but she's a better mother. She's a better parent. I don't know. I'm going to have to figure this shit out. I'm going to have to fuck that bear up. That's what I'm going to have to do. He's just going to have to die. I'm going to have to fight to the death. Yeah. So No, you, you could scare a black bear away for sure. Um, but it was, we, we had a black bear visit and, but the grizzly, I heard some pretty crazy grizzly bear stories. Those, those ones you just have to, uh, basically pray. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. Or um, stay on one of the two. Yeah. That too. Uh, so, so with sales being an important thing in, in your life, that's something that I never thought I would get into sales. Like I didn't think sales would ever be important to me. And then I realized that it's like the most important skill anyone could have is just really Having helping someone else see your point of view and agreeing to it and doing something that's gonna there's gonna be some exchange where usually they get what they want. Like that's that's the a dumb way of explaining sales is helping someone see that what you have is gonna get them what they want. Uh, what are some of the big things that uh, 
you teach people that are really getting them results? Well, I, uh, I think with sales, there's really only two things that you need. And, and I'll give you a mathematical equation. This could be the last sales training anybody out there ever needs. And, and there's great sales trainers like Andy Elliott and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Grant Cardone used to do it. He doesn't do it so much anymore. Same with Jordan Belfort. Andy Elliott's a great sales trainer. But oh, yeah. there's, there's really some things that if you don't understand this equation I'm about to give you, if your audience doesn't understand it, then, then that's what you need to work on in sales, right? So it takes two sets of skills to get a closed sale, okay? So the first set of skills is empathy and confidence, okay? Empathy comes from listening to your prospect. So many salespeople think that the gift of gab is what gets you a sale. It's not the gift of gab. It's the gift of using the two ears the good Lord gave you, right? One mouth, two ears. There's a reason for that. You should listen twice as much as you speak. I have a saying that we coined for years now, over a decade. I say on a sales call, he who speaks the least earns the most. And if you've let your prospect out talk you, good for you because now they've dumped on you everything that they need you to know in order for them to feel like you have the information in order for you to feel that in order for you to make the decision on their behalf. Cause that's what we do as salespeople. We're making a decision on their behalf. The only way we can do that is if we have empathy, if we interrupt them, if we don't listen, if we now, Tim, you and I might be going through a sales call and in five seconds into this thing, you say something and I'm like, boom, he needs marketing help. I, I have the ability to interrupt you and start pressuring you to sell you on your marketing help right there in that moment. But a smart salesperson lets you talk for the next 30 seconds, 30 minutes, however long it takes for, for you to feel like I understand your situation. Because when a person's talking to you, especially a prospect, when they're dumping words on you, they're not wanting you to interrupt them. First of all, nobody listens to anybody these days. So you're a blessing in itself, just listening mm-hmm. to people. Second of all, they're trying to arm you with all the facts so that you can give them your take on it and your suggestion on what product to buy. Okay. It doesn't matter if you're selling cars, mortgages, real estate, coaching, consulting, podcasts, marketing, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're selling, this is how it works, right? So empathy comes from listening. And then, but they have to know that you're listening. They have to know that you were there. Okay. Whether it's in person and the phone on zoom, the second part of that, that, that set of skills you have to have is confidence. Okay. First of all, you got to believe in yourself. Because you're going to be making the once you've established that empathy with the prospect, they're expecting you to make that decision on their behalf. They're saying, well, Stuman's the guy with all the information. You tell me what I should buy. That's what they're basically saying. I've given you all this information. Now you tell me what I should buy, which means you're making the convert that you're making the suggestion and you're making the decision for them. And so if you don't have confidence in that decision, here's what if there's two different ways of presenting this stuff. It's like, well, Tim, I, I think that you might be a, a good fit for our apex entrepreneur program. And it helps guys like you really take off to the next level with your hiring training so you can scale, scale your business. Or, dude, I'm telling you, Tim, you get involved with us over at Apex Entourage. You're going to Apex Entrepreneurs. You're going to be just like the last 150 people in the last 12 months that have gone through this program that have gone on to make six, high six, low seven, some of them even low eight figures in revenue per year in the same industry that you're in investing in real estate. I'm telling you, I have not let anybody down. I don't have a one star on the internet in 13 years. Sign up with us. Let's make this shit happen together, right? I have the confidence mm-hmm. to be able to say that 
because I have seen this happen a million times. I know my product works. I know how the things that we've put in place in the systems and the results that they've gotten for other people. So that's where confidence comes from. Empathy, listening, confidence from product knowledge and certainty that you're making your prospects making the right decision. If you can't confidently tell somebody to give you money for what it is that you sell, go fucking sell something else. Go because you you don't believe in it. You shouldn't be selling it. I worked for Ford and Lincoln. I drove a Lincoln. I fucking hate Lincolns, bro, but I sold them. So I had to drive mm-hmm. one because how could I be driving around in a Chevy or a Dodge or whatever the case may be? If I'm selling Lincolns, it's like, oh, yeah, I want you to buy it, but uh, I wouldn't buy one. Like, how am I going to be able to sell that? So as much yeah. as I really don't like Lincolns, man, I forced myself to like them and I forced myself to go all the way in with them because if that's what I was going to sell, that's what I better be moving to. I say I hate Lincolns now. Back then, I loved them, obviously. Once you get the first half of the equation, the second half takes place right and that's where you got persuasion and influence okay persuasion right so if 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 i've gained empathy now i can make a decision for you i've got confidence in my product now i'm going to suggest it for you that's where i use my persuasive skills to not go listen tim give me your money right that's not how it works it's like hey tim Hmm. sign up with us we'll take you through the same process we've taken another 150 entrepreneurs over the last 12 months so on and so forth just like i said before right now i'm using my persuasion to show you that other people just like you've got results in advance and have worked down the same path and it's worked out beyond their wildest dreams then i've gained influence Okay, so now I've persuaded you. I've gained influence. I've showed you my wisdom. Then I can close the sale. That's the that's the equation. E plus C in parentheses plus P plus I in parentheses equals a closed sale. Hmm. That's all the sales training anybody yeah. needs to do. So now you need to look at that and go, do I need to get better at listening? Do I need to learn more about my product and how it can help every single body in every situ- situation? Okay. Do I need to use more persuasive language so that I can gain influence and use my influence to get them to make a decision, which is the right one for the company, which equals more closed sales. So that's the four processes that you got to think through of where you're lacking. If you're missing sales, chances are it isn't because you're a bad salesman. It's probably because you don't shut the fuck up, right? That's just how most people are. Mm-hmm. They don't shut up, they don't listen. And they're like, man, I don't know why I keep blowing sales. Dude, I watched you talk yourself out of 20 sales in a row, dude. They were all willing to buy until you told them not to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the confidence piece, like you're not going to give someone money that doesn't believe in it. And that's a big thing with Andy Elliott. Like a lot of, a lot of the stuff he talks about is fitness and just being the kind of person you need to be is going to make you more money because, uh, you know, that's, that's where confidence is built is proven to yourself. You are who you say you are. And then like you do what you say you do. And, and that is going to translate to making more money from you do what you say Mm -hmm. you're going to do. You're right. That's where confidence comes from. Mm -hmm. So, Yep. Well, that, I mean, that was great. That was good. Uh, tactical advice there at the end. I just wanted to kind of at the end, we've, we've gone through a lot of things. Is there anything specific you wanted to talk about and cover before we start to wrap things up here? You know what, what I would suggest everybody out there, if you, if you, if you don't have a mentor, if you don't have somebody you're learning from leaning from, uh, let me be that guy. You can follow me at hardcore closer, on Instagram. I'm real Ryan Stuman on Facebook. I'm never going to ask you for Bitcoin or sliding your DMs with some BS. Those are fake pages. Mm-hmm. Both of my pages have blue checks. They've had them for years. 
And, and, you know, I, I, I'm not a big guy pitching stuff, although I help people and, and do business and make a lot of sales, but I give a tremendous amount of value to the folks out there. So maybe some of you grew up without a father. Maybe some of you grew up without a leader. Some of you are out there looking for somebody who's an example coming from hard times that's made it. I'm that guy for you. And, you know, you follow me on social media. I, sometimes I'm funny, but most of the time I'm just dropping real nuggets of wisdom, like what I've given you on this show today that you can actually take off from here and go use. You're like, oh shit, that dude said the simplest stuff. If I just listen more, I'll make more sales. How profound is that? Watch it work, y'all. Watch it work. I've been doing this stuff Hmm. damn near my whole life. I'm 44 years old, almost 44. I'll be 43 here in a uh, 44 here in a month, but I'm almost 44 years old and I've been in sales since I was 13. So you do the math. Was that 31, 31 years I got practicing this Hmm. stuff. So safe to say I seen some stuff. Yeah. And that was, that was one of the simplest and most impactful breakdowns I think I've heard. Like I've, I've done all the sales training and listened to all the people, you know, Grant Cardone, Andy Elliott, Bradley, like all those guys, and they have great stuff. Absolutely. But the, the thing for me and the way that I learn is learning one little thing at a time that I can apply next time. And I learn it, implement it, it becomes a skill. Then I need to learn one more thing next time. That's how I learn. I don't know if anybody else learns that way. So this was helpful to me. Awesome. I appreciate that. Well, thanks um, for having me on, man. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. Anyone that's still listening, uh, yeah, reach out to Ryan, follow him on the social media, get involved in what he's got going on. But uh, thank you again, and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Later.